0: It's just so important how you treat people and the level of humanity and respect and appreciation and love that you have on every level, you know, from a, from a business relationship to a friendship, to a, a love interest, to your animals, to strangers, you know, it's just so important to, to really appreciate everything around you because you never know when it's gonna be gone
1: welcome here to another installment here at wide awake radio my name is chris i'll be your lovely host and today i'm super excited as we're going to be talking about um, someone that actually has created ripples and waves specifically through the realms of culture the potential for moving people through sound not hype This was the seed that planted and eventually led towards the growth and evolution of both Submission and Blackbox as we know them today. We're featuring Nicole Cachavallano to learn how a 26 year old middle school teacher from Philadelphia rose to the ranks starting as a starting promoter and eventually became the bridge for dubstep and corporate giants like AEG and Live Nation. We're celebrating her 14th year as the owner of Submission and also her fifth year as the owner of Blackbox a place that many residents out in Denver know as the home for the underground.
0: Thanks so much for having me today.
1: So look, before we, I I guess before we get into what we know and what we can expect from Black Box and Submission, there's a really interesting story that I kind of want to start off with, which is what the experience was like um, when you were, I guess, when you just first got into the industry. Um, You know, you were 26 at the time, and you were a teacher. You You were teaching middle school out in Philly. Yep. How, I mean, how, where's the transition?
0: (laughs) Well, you know, I think just like most uh, human beings, we all are looking for connection. And uh, for me, music provided that opportunity. So I always kind of went to events or listened to my favorite CD or tape or record at the time um, and still do, you know, it just is a way to escape from everyday life. when I was teaching in Philadelphia, it was extremely stressful. I was teaching in a really bad neighborhood, uh, kids who really needed help, you know, and, and they really needed assistance and spending all of my days and time, time there uh, just to make sure that they were protected and music really was an escape for me. So. When I did end up moving to Colorado, um, there really was not a dubstep scene. You know, there was some drum and bass going on and some reggae, and they were the events that I was attending. In fact, my first visit to Colorado, I googled Colorado drum and bass, and basically went to the to the shows <laughs> and uh, met my best friend. Uh, you know, fast forward 14 years, my best friend Maggie, and um, just kind of started logging in the dubstep, you know, to see if people liked it. And so that, that was it. You know, I I had just found a genre that really resonated with me and I wanted to share it with anyone who wanted to listen.
1: With social media being what it is today, did you have to kind of keep it under wraps that you were working in the music industry or?
0: Yeah. You know, so it was interesting. It was an interesting transition to begin with because I was, Coming from Philadelphia, which, you know, we are very outspoken, blunt, and honest type of creature that comes from the East Coast. Moving to Colorado, I started teaching in Highlands Ranch, and uh, it was an extreme culture shock to begin with, you know. And I was this tattooed girl coming in to teach. So, yeah, you know, I definitely did not really celebrate the fact that I was throwing music events. Um, Especially at that time in Colorado, all electronic music was basically considered rave and and just had this negative stigma, you know? Mm. So I really did not want these teachers to be thinking I was, like, out doing drugs and partying on the weekends.
1: Right, and then teaching their kids uh, during the weekdays. Yeah, and
0: coming in, you know, and doing doing the work, you know?
1: I guess walk me through the first initial steps. So in 2007, you you founded Submission, um, which is a dubstep crew in Denver, was the original intention for it to be what it is today? How did it, what was the original idea that sparked
0: it? And honestly, it was just a sound that I um, wanted to share with my friends. There was like a, a a group, a good little solid group of us that really got into the music. And at this time, you know, it was 2006. So it wasn't really in America yet. Like uh, we were just kind of, you know, at the forefront, forefront of it and we just Wanted to hang out and have fun, and and you know we had a radio show called Dank Deals, and like just kind of use it as an excuse to just be together and and have this like common common bond, right? And so um, started off first by myself and a guy named Mike uh, Mecca One. Um, and him and I, and our significant others at the time, just like met at Double Daughters because that was a really cool venue here that I really liked. It kind of had this underground feel. And we're like, what if we started throwing shows? Do we think anybody would come? And uh, lo and behold, from there, you know, we kind of like, well, let's just do it, you know? And, and that's what we did. So we asked a friend of mine if we could kind of take over one of her pre existing nights. We brought out Nick Argonne from San Francisco, and we threw the first submission party. And uh, at that time, it was amazing. I mean, the vibe that night was unlike anything I've ever felt, you know? it's um, It was really special, you know? At that point, we were lugging in sound systems, lugging in all the gear, you know? We had no idea if anybody would show up, but realistically, mm. because we were all doing it together, like, that didn't matter. Mm.
1: It sounds like the big push was towards community in the first place. And I think that that's, 100%. it sounded objectively, I wasn't there, of course, but like it sounded like yeah. that kind of helped spark the, the attitude and the culture that I guess now that we see today.
0: That's it. You know, I mean, it was, wasn't is about community. It's about a place where like-minded people could go and escape from anything and everything that they're dealing with and just be on the same page and just relate, you know?
1: Are you still, I I know that with with a couple of promoters, you know, when they first throw out their first show, they have this idea, and sometimes it's a romantic notion of what their first show is going to look like, who's going to turn up, maybe if they'll get themselves on the cover of Forbes, whatever ideas that they have in mind. But the actual reality of throwing the show tends to also be very different. Looking back at your first show and maybe now the, you know, how many shows have you thrown since then? Oh,
0: thousands. (laughs) Thousands. Okay. I don't even know how. I don't even know if I can equate. I would have needed prior notice to count. <laughs> okay,
1: that's fair. But let's say that you know after the year thousand show, how has your relationship on the promotion and on the I guess the show organizer end? How has it changed? Um, what's 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 different? I,
0: I mean, that's the thing. It hasn't, you know. And I, I really believe that that is why we can stay relevant, right? Like, the entire goal and mission was to create. A place for like minded individuals. And it was never about money. It was never about being on the cover of this magazine. In fact, like I am usually the person hiding in the darkest corner of the room. (laughs) And uh, it it was never really about that. It it was just about fun and and, and, and a vibe and an experience. And so, you know, we started then with hand to hand flyering. We still do hand to hand flyering. You know, we started with uh, obviously now it's a little bit different with the technology that's available. Um, as far as promotions and such go, but I mean, bringing in the biggest sound system into the darkest room with a hundred of your closest friends to now 500 or a thousand or however many people that turns out to be, Mm. that has not always will be the mission.
1: Mm. Do you have any, I guess, any words of wisdom that you want to share with maybe potential aspiring would-be promoters as far as maybe having the right psychology or the right mentality going into this?
0: Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think that in order to get anyone to truly believe in what it is that you're pushing, you've got to believe in it yourself. So defining the foundation and the mission statement of whatever it is that that business or venture is going to be is critical and figuring out. What you need to do to and the people that you need to employ or bring on to help you spread that mission from your street team to your marketing team to your managers to your production to the artists that you even book, you know, it, it, it all is what helps the mission stay relevant.
1: I, I like how it's very much value-focused, correct me if I'm wrong, but some of the most successful brands that I've seen, whether it be the Nikes or the McDonald's, they don't necessarily sell people on athletic wear or on cheeseburgers, but it's the experience and the values that people will will get as a consequence of purchasing or interacting with their products.
0: Yeah, that's, that is it. I mean, I think that's important, you know, in the beginning days of submission, it was funny. I, I would be the girl that would be walking around with the clipboard to collect email addresses and introduce herself to everybody and thank them for coming. And like, I was also the special ed teacher who loved data. So Hmm. one thing I realized really quickly was that, you know, it took about three shows for people to come out. And by the third show, they were either like, hell yeah, sign me up. This is what I'm about, you know, Hmm. or they were just turned off by the music because maybe it was too slow or, you know, for whatever reason, it just wasn't their, you know, their their fit, right? So um, I, I think it is important you know consistency is key so whatever the message is that you are selling uh or you know the vibe that you're trying to get across it's important that people can feel that every single time they come so they can believe in it right and once Mm -hmm. they believe in it then you're just continuing to create the army
1: yeah i mean it comes up from a strong foundation in the first place um and this is a little bit of an existential question but like you know, when it comes to the creation of a brand or even in the creation of just your own personal life, um, I, I, I always found that the most inspiring people are very wide driven um, and they're very value driven. They have a very specific type of mission that they hope to accomplish. And out of that, incredible ideas tend to kind of follow them. Um, so I guess I can't help but ask if this is a mission statement for submission and even for, for Blackbox, how does your personal mission fall into this?
0: I mean, you know, I, I was born to be a teacher, and I knew that from the time I was young. you know, I, I knew by by the time I was in kindergarten that I wanted to get into education. And I think for me, um, it 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 kind of goes hand in hand with with where I'm at now, you know, I just want to always continue to provide as much opportunity for people. I think that education is something that you can never take away from a person. And it's one of the only things that you can actually control in your life. And I don't mean a college degree. I I mean, you know, learning and evolving and recreating yourself and not being afraid to make mistakes and recognizing them and doing it better the next time and figuring it out because that's what life is about. Um, And being your most authentic self. And I think That is kind of where it all comes from for me. You know, music was what healed me. It's what allowed me to build relationships and bonds, and you know, get through certain situations in my life that I might not have handled most appropriate way, or the same way, if it wasn't if it wasn't for those types of outlets. So, I think um, you know, just continuing to be able to provide that and that experience for people and those opportunities is just kind of you know kind of all goes hand in hand with my personal life and submission and the agency getting to share it and you know to everyone around the country to the black box to creating our own little our own little home you know
1: what do you what do you hope to teach whether it be the people that you work with or the very audience ultimately i hope
0: everybody walks away feeling uplifted and just feeling like they have had some type of personal, you know, just some personal experience. You know, the thing with dubstep that really resonated with me was the vibrations and the big sound systems really help get that across. And, you know, the power power of music and the power of those vibrations is really where the healing comes from. And being in a room where there's no judgment, it's dark, you can put your head down, you can get into your own vibe. No one is there kind of looking at you or, Mm. or you know, there for, for the other reasons. Everybody's there for the same thing. So just kind of like finding your tribe, you know, and uh, I, I want people, I, I want people to, to feel that. I, I want people to be able to release and I want people to get in touch with their emotions. You know, on a broader spectrum, I want people to understand what good music sounds like, what it feels like um, from an even broader spectrum. At this point with Black Box, we've started a studio. So I want people to learn how to produce music the proper way or DJ Mm -hmm. music the proper way. You know, any type of lesson that we could provide ultimately is the goal.
1: I have an immense respect for anybody in the education realm. Um, I dabble in and work with several organizations that doing just that. And so one of the biggest kind of common motifs that I followed along that would have been some learning lessons from maybe overall within the industry as a whole.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think the biggest lesson that I have ever learned that has helped me um, with all my businesses, realistically, is something I've learned when I was a teacher. Uh, And that was if, you know, as you're standing there, you know, delivering some type of information, if people are looking at you back and they're like, what in the hell is this girl talking about? You know, like, ultimately, it's because you have to figure out a different way to present the topic, right? So you have to meet people on their level. Mm -hmm. And unless you're ready and willing to do that, there's going to be so much gray area. And so learning that as a teacher has really helped me, you know, in the business aspect of it, because no one knew what dubstep was. So from the simple terms, it's trying to sell venues onto why they should let me bring in sound systems and like, this bass music when they think that their sound systems are already good enough or want to do this dubstep and they have no idea what dubstep even means to, you know, just you know, to just in general. I mean, I guess the bigger spectrum at this point in my life would be at the venue where, you know, we run into situations with people who are on drugs or alcohol or need help or something has happened. Or, you know, maybe they're just having this emotional response because they're dealing with something that they're going through, you know, learning how to react and meet them on their level and be there to provide support and also kind of help them understand, you know, what it is that happened um, and what can't happen again, you know, Mm -hmm. or what we need to do to provide a better space or a better environment or how do we become better leaders. You know, I think those are things and those are the lessons that I'm, Always paying so much close attention to because like I said, you know, I, I think that learning is a lifelong journey and evolution is, uh, is about other, you know, it's not just about yourself, but it's about other people and, and what you can learn from them.
1: I find that the experience is always richer because of it. Give us an idea of what the experience was like going from a promoter to finding submission to then developing it into a uh, booking and management agency.
0: Gotcha, yeah, so I you know, I guess the best way to explain it is i'm I'm here for the ride, I'm here for the journey. I have tons of ideas, but i I do not think that forcing anything is is the key. I think that letting things just kind of evolve naturally is um just just the way, you know, and so with me, it was throwing events, and at first, it was like small events, you know. No one knew what dubstep was, so it was just kind of like building the scene. So by and that was like 2007 by 2010, we had from consistent events and built a built scene that no one even knew about, you know, like no one knew what Dubstep was. And all of a sudden here's this company submission in Denver who's throwing thousand person parties. Hmm. So we kind of just, we just kind of evolved. I mean, we, we, our, our event evolution was going to whatever venue would let us have, you know, have the have the dance floor and bring in a sound system to getting into some of the larger venues um, like Beta night Club at the time. And then from Beta evolving, into events at Cervantes and then for selling out Cervantes and working with corporations like AEG and Live Nation and um you know and about at, at about 2012 a lot of the artists that's that we were booking um were really looking for for an agent and so the agency was just kind of like the next step mm-hmm. and um at that point, I just started working with the artists that we had been consistently bringing out to Denver and just kind of booking them around the country. And from there, the agency has grown and diversified, which I'm excited to see. Uh, and, you know, I guess in, from there, that, w- that was just like the natural next step. The, the venue was just something that I had, you know, when we were doing events and we got to like such a large scale, Red Rock shows and Throwing decadence, ten thousand person parties in Denver, etc. It was just something that I realized, like when I would look up in the first Red Rock show we did, and I look up and there's all these kids in neon with glow sticks, and I was like, "Well, hell, man, this is not what I wanted my first Red Rock show to look like." <laughs> you mm. know, like it was just a, such a completely different vibe, you know. And while I understood at the time that, you know, there was a period in my journey where I realized that I was the only dubstep in in Denver at the time, dubstep mm-hmm. promoter in Denver, sorry. Um, and there's so much more to the sound than what we were just booking because we concentrated a lot on the underground and the OG style that it was just the natural evolution that I realized it was a job for me now and I had to start booking different, you know, different styles of, of dubstep that were coming out in order to you know, give it, give the kids the experience. And um, I kind of led to the bigger shows and those bigger shows kind of made me realize that the vibe that I got into it for, you know, was the dark rooms and the big sound systems. And that if I wanted to recreate that and stay true to the mission, then I would need to open my own venue. And so mm-hmm. at that point I had just started really keeping that on the, the back burner and looking for spaces. And uh, ironically, uh, my mom was really sick with cancer, and in March of 2016, I was back in Philadelphia, and I noticed that first venue that I ever threw that, in Denver that allowed me to bring in a sound system and throw Hatch and Banga in 2007, I saw a Facebook post from the owner who was like, hey, I'm just over this, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so I hit him up right away, and I was like, "Let me let me take it over. You know, like let me book all your talent. Let me come in and run it as submission. I'll pay the bills. I'll do whatever. And you know, we went back and forth. And when I came back from De- to Denver from Philly, that first trip, we met up, and the conversation just slowly led into him wanting to just sell, you know, sell, sell it to mm-hmm. us completely, and allowing, allowing me to just kind of open the black box and have my dream turn into a reality really, really quickly because. That was in March and we opened in November. So everything happened really fast.
1: It sounds like it. And and contextually, how long were you teaching? Like, at what point did you say, okay, I should probably stop teaching just for the purpose of me being able to properly continue to throw these shows or to continue investing my energy? Yeah. Yeah. When did that Uh, happen?
0: So I quit teaching in about 2011. Okay. And from then on, I was just doing music music only. It had just gotten to the point to where, you know, being that I was the only dubstep promoter in town at the time, you know, submission events were just what started as a monthly now had turned into multiple, multiple events a week. And it was just really difficult because by that point, I had transitioned down to Denver Public Schools from Highlands Ranch and uh, was teaching a program called Effective Needs for At-Risk Youth um, and, you know, they depended on me every day. Not that in my other teaching positions, the kids didn't depend on me, but these these kids in, spe- in you know, specific, specifically were, you, you know, had a really strong relationship and I needed to be there and be able to be present with them and I was just being pulled in too many directions and it just wasn't fair, hmm. you know, for me to to not be able to give them my all because I had five shows that week or three shows that week or whatnot. So I just made the decision that I was going to instead buy a house in their neighborhood so I could still stay in touch with them mm-hmm. and still help them with their education, but at the same time, follow you know, on this new path in my life that presented itself.
1: And there's a direct link between um, some of the your past students that you worked with and where they had a lot of difficulty and maybe had it even experienced some behavioral or emotional difficulties with, I think might be the word might be, um, self-regulating, um, yep. that you didn't get, a, I guess, a level of perspective until opened black box and you were dealing with not only a grand opening, but also simultaneously your mother's passing.
0: Yeah, it was, uh, probably the most difficult time of my life, to be honest. I had been traveling back and forth every other week to Philly, um, to help take care of her. And uh, at the same time, when I would fly back, try to figure out, OK, how, how are we going to do this? What are we going to do? Building my team, you know? And just kind of get, get everything in place, transferring liquor licensing. You now, owning a venue was something I had never done. So everything was new at this point. Um, not only that, but the venue itself was just in terrible condition. So we had a bunch of renovations we had to do. and. It was just a lot of back and forth, and um, unfortunately, you know, we fortunately, we, we were able to open, and we were supposed to open in October, but uh, the guy pushed us back into November, which was just added stress to everything I was already dealing with in life, and... Um, at that point, I had already had three months of shows booked, and you know that had to change everything. Uh, when he canceled it, he canceled it completely. It was like it's not happening. Like after we had already put money in and all this crazy stuff, and it was just extremely insane. I was actually back home in Philadelphia with my mom when that happened, and it was just like life-altering. And then a couple weeks later, he hit me back up and was like, "Never mind, it's back on," hmm. <laughs> and like changed the date then to November. Uh, first is when we could get get in there to the, to property, um, you know. And keep in mind, all of this stuff is happening while I'm going back and forth every other week to Philly to help take care of my mother. Mm-hmm. And at that point, my mom she had she had a really rare form of cancer called leiomyosarcoma, and um, for, for like it, it was like the biggest pinnacles of my night my life. Like finally got to book Casper and Rusco at Cervantes did that event in August, August twenty fifth. And it was sold out, it was like the event I waited for for so long in dubstep history to recreate. Did that event, woke up the next day to a phone call from my cousin saying I need to come home right away because now my mom can't walk. She has this tumor on her spine and has to get surgery right away. So I just had to wake up, fly back to Philadelphia. I was able to get back there with a time difference five minutes before they took her into a surgery that they weren't even sure she was gonna make make it through. So I was able to get back to say goodbye to her you know, or, or like just at least try to cheer her on so that she could make it through, she gets out of that surgery and ends up being paralyzed and had to make the decision, do I walk or do I fight cancer? And she wanted, she was a fighter, so she wanted to walk, which meant she had to go into this rehab facility to where they had to reteach her how to walk again for a few months. And so while she was in that rehab facility, I was flying back to Denver to try to get the venue to. to <laughs> through and handle you know handle everything that was along those lines and then um, you know doing all the construction and doing all the remodel and getting everything figured out to the point where we finally had our first show in November and then the next day after our first show I got a call saying that my mom wasn't doing so well so like trying to figure that out and flew back home and then flew back to Denver and then on Thanksgiving called my mom and she was just not making any sense and I told my brother he had to take her to the hospital and that I was on the next plane home. Turned out at that point that she just had blood clots in her lungs and in her legs. And that um, ultimately, because she decided to f- figure out how to walk again, uh, the cancer had come back. And it was so intrusive in her body at that point that there was just no hope. There was nothing else that we could do. and she got put in hospice, and so she wanted to do hospice at home, and so the day, you know, I had to spend the whole time in the hospital calling the family and figuring out who's going to help her. So, you know, I had a limited time on when my liquor license would run out, so I had to, like, get her situated. The last day I saw her was moving her from the hospital. She was moving from the hospital back to home while I was on a plane flying back to Denver they told us she had three months. So I was flying back there trying to figure out how in the hell I was going to move back to Philadelphia and open a venue at the same time for the next few months and like get my team ready, which were amazing at the time and still are. Um, they, they helped me through. And, you know, long story short, I end up flying back uh, to Denver. And, um, you know, this was a little bit after that. This was in the beginning of December couple weeks in and a liquor license had to transfer on December 14th or and uh, 15th I'm sorry my birthday was December 16th and I woke up from my birthday to a message saying that from my mom saying that she was gonna die and she ended up dying that day and I didn't get to be there I had to watch her die on FaceTime <laughs> so ultimately to fly back to philadelphia at that point and leave the venue again and just get everything situated with my mom as i was uh the person who had to handle all of her affairs and uh got back to denver by new year's eve and i just buried myself in work you know and kind of the full circle of the teaching is i started having these crazy anxiety attacks and uh to the point where I don't think I could even leave my house because it was like I was supposed, to, I was just so afraid of these anxiety attacks, I thought I was dying, like I couldn't breathe, was I having an asthma attack, you know, was I having a heart attack, like at this point I had known about anxiety from teaching it and teaching strategies for years but never had personally gone through any type of situation or anxiety attack like that and uh, It was just a real wake-up call, you know, it was just that real moment where I was like, wow, you know, like, where you say that those kids teach you something, Mm -hmm. it, you know, the lessons that you learn from life, it was just something that just came full circle for me, trying to use the strategies I used to have to teach kids to be able to get myself out of the house to go run a music venue and be this boss for all this whole staff but I was falling apart inside, you know? And like, just having to try to figure out that balance was something, that was a real struggle, you know? It was was a real struggle. But luckily I had a really good support system um, and a really good therapist. And I was able to, you know, eventually get myself under control. And uh, while I still do have anxiety, I haven't had one of those crazy anxiety attacks in quite some time. Uh, And hopefully it stays that way.
1: (laughs) I I appreciate you immensely for for sharing this and and to hold this space. From the context of a lot of folks that start working in the music industry, we start kind of seeing behind the the veil, if you will, and Uh the romantic idea of what it means to be a promoter or what it means to be an artist, or what it means to be a professional in this industry, sometimes gets lost with the real life and human experiences that we also have to go through.
0: Yeah, I can agree with
1: that. Yeah, and so it's incredibly inspiring to see, I mean, not only to hear your story, but to see, I guess, the resilience and the consistency and the persistence. The loss of a parent is never easy. And if there's any reason to question, maybe even existence as a whole, it would be then you
0: know yeah. um that was it. I mean it It was the hardest thing I uh I don't even think ironically I don't even think I ever grieved the loss of my mom it, it was a shock I had thought I had more time I had gotten back you know when I when I went back to Philly it was like you know she was dead and I had all of this work to do now as, as the executor of the will you know and so I literally had to call every credit card house mortgage work job friend hi my mom's dead hi you know like over and over and over and it it just turned me into a robot mm-hmm. and uh, just emotionally drained you know I was just in the zone and then coming back to Denver it was all black box because i had missed you know so much time from when we opened to when i was there you know i was gone so there was so much to catch up on and we had so many issues with staffing and security and liquor license and there was just so much work to do that i never really got a chance to grieve and i worked consistently between the agency and the black box all day every day for you know for years Mm -hmm. Up until COVID (laughs) and uh, a year after my mom died I had to go back to Philly and get her two cats and bring them out here to Denver so I could take they could live with me Mm -hmm. and uh, the one cat Loki was my very first cat actually and when I moved to Colorado I had left him with my mom Mm -hmm. and uh, bringing him back here and, and her other cat was just kind of an amazing thing for me. I I got to make sure that they were okay. And unfortunately during COVID, you know, it was the first time in my professional career that everything stopped and I had no excuse. I've used work as an excuse to not deal with trauma for a very long time. And when COVID hit, it was the first time I had nothing. I didn't wake up to 900 emails. I didn't have five meetings a day or other phone calls. You know, I had nothing. And I legitimately did not grieve my mother's death. And I just worked consistently until COVID hit and Loki passed away. And when Loki passed away, I feel like I grieved my mom. You know, it it brought up all of this past trauma and emotion that I had just pushed down and decided I'm just gonna work you mm-hmm. know and I think that's why the anxiety started happening it was because it was literally my body telling me like Nicole you need to slow down you mm-hmm. need to take care of yourself and I was developing these nervous nervous tics and like you know I just was like wanting to rip my hair out and like just having these crazy anxiety attacks and at that point is when I started to to seek help you know and this was you know two years after my mom died two years after black box so you know I had literally buried myself in work until then and then I started seeking out some help and was getting help and doing better but I don't even think during that help I really fully processed how difficult and what a life-changing moment it is to lose a parent to lose your mother the person who brought you into this world you know and uh when i lost loki in november and i had no excuse but to have time off because i had no i had no distractions you know right. i think that's the easiest way to say it i had just distracted myself with work forever and uh yeah so through throughout this COVID, it's been a very a, a very life-changing experience for me in a positive way i've used the time to grieve my mom, to remember my mom, to appreciate my mom, mm-hmm. and to understand the circle of life and that she's still here just in a different way. And that how important it is the decisions that you make every day, you know, lead you to the next step. And that it's, it's not, you know, it's, it's just so important how you treat people and the level of humanity and respect and appreciation and love that you have is to be able to fully make sure people understand how you feel about them and how important that is on every level, you know, from a, from a business relationship to a friendship to a, a love interest to your animals to strangers, you know, it's just so important to... To really appreciate everything around you because you never know when it's going to be gone and address mental health issues Not only in the music industry, but just in general, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like Addressing trauma and dealing with situations Is so healthy and I never I never realized, you know, how much damage I was doing to myself, you know, and with that said how much damage i was probably doing to relationships that i had at that time you know because of if you're not treating yourself right you, you you're clearly can't. not treating anyone you know it right. that's a that trickle down right so right
1: and the quality of relationships that we have with ourselves they can only they can only be matched by the relationships that we have with others exactly uh, and and exactly. i absolutely see that you know like a lot of folks i had a really good conversation who was it with it was it was yesterday with a buddy and we we're talking about how you know the golden rule is, is simple to follow but it's incredibly difficult to master because a lot of folks I mean you say treat others how you want to be treated but a lot of people don't treat themselves very well oh and so and we bikes, don't learn
0: that. we're not taught that you know right. like there's no there's no magic answer you know and people right. with low self-esteem right like they don't see you know like on a fucking very personal level you know like we're all fighting battles that no one knows and i know you hear that everywhere but it is so important to really put yourself step back from your ego you know and i don't mean the ego like i'm the best i mean your actual ego and like And just be accepting of people, of who they are and where they're at in their own journey.
1: The more self-work that I do on myself and the more, I guess, closure that I make with my past traumas and my past emotional baggages and unresolved conflicts, the easier I am to be empathetic and kind towards others that I can see struggling or going through the same.
0: Yeah, I agree with that 100%.
1: You know, both as as an industrialist of not only just working on the inside and seeing, you know, what the consequences are of neglecting mental health, not only on your personal through your personal experience, but even when it comes to artists, what I guess what observations have you made so far and what what is what are things that we can do as a community?
0: Yeah, I think one of the biggest things for me was that I had this perception in my head that if I failed, or if I slowed down, or if I wasn't at the top of my game, then somebody was going to come in and they would book that artist at a different venue, hmm. where they would get that artist, you know, there would just be missed opportunity. And that missed opportunity would would affect me, you know, and my businesses and my clients. And And, you know, what I realized is that while that might happen, that's not the end of the world, and that it is important to take care of yourself, because you can only you can only be as good as you are and mm-hmm. and the people that you're working with if they if they can't meet you at the human level then maybe you're not meant to be working with them in the first place and maybe that missed opportunity you know might lead to you know for an example there was one specific artist on our roster when I was going through the loss of my mom who I wasn't able to provide the same level of care he needed mm-hmm. and that was ongoing conversations because he had his own mental health issues and because of my experience and my friendship with him I was there for him mm-hmm. but because for that moment in my life I needed to step back I, I had nothing else to give to anyone else right I could give to myself I was trying to figure out what I needed to give to myself in order to be able to walk out my front door and walk into a venue and be an agent and be a venue owner and be a talent buyer, you know? And like, that was the biggest thing for me was that I realized then if I don't give to myself and I don't take care of myself, I cannot do anything for anyone else. I'm worthless. I'm useless. Hmm. And so starting to figure out what that looks like. For some people, it's a better diet. For some people, it's therapy. For some people, it's going for a run. For some people, it's laying in your hammock. For some people, it's smoking weed. Who knows? Mm -hmm. But figuring out your own individual way to decompress and to process is the key to survival and living a life that isn't holding you down because emotional baggage is... It is is the struggle, you mm-hmm. know, and it's why I think we see so much mental health issues in the music industry. I mean, in every industry, but in the music industry, people are doing the same thing I did. We're distracting ourselves by touring, by making music, by doing this. We're not dealing with the issues at hand that are really holding us back and not allowing us to be as creative as possible.
1: How did you find the distinction between, I guess, coping and let's say uh, properly internalizing or integrating, um, how, how, how are you able to personally distinguish between the two?
0: Well, I would say for me, once I started figuring out strategies to deescalate my anxiety to where I could get to the point um, to where I could be back at it you know a hundred percent or even eighty percent you know Mm -hmm. it was just a switch that had to flip in my own head and that switch was basically like you're a human you need time off you need downtime you need to process cry you know and so as stupid as it sounds on Sundays, I would watch shows like, you know, Home Makeover Edition or something where they made over new homes for families that were in need. Mm-hmm. And it was so beautiful. I would bawl my <laughs> eyes out, you know? And I would just, like, that is what I needed. Every week, I needed a release, you know? Mm-hmm. And for me, it was seeing people touching other people with just with just beautiful gestures that changed their lives. And that, to me, was... Not only what helped me, but it made me realize that that is what I need to continue to do, that that is my mission. That's what my journey's always been about a teacher, by being a teacher. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's been about, providing these music events, creating opportunities for artists across the country, having a venue. It's, it's, it's just that, creating these beautiful experiences and just reconnecting with that. Um, I, I think on a bigger picture, that, that was kind of you know, the switch that flipped for me, that I am human, and you know what? If I needed personal day, I'm taking a personal day. That the biggest show in the world isn't gonna pass me by in one day, and if it does, it's just not meant to be. Mm-hmm. And accepting that, and understanding that you know, was, I think, the thing that changed my life. Um, from strategies, you know, as far as coping, I used this app called Calm. And I started doing meditation and sleep stories and trying to get myself into a better pattern and better environment. I did not drink alcohol. I wasn't smoking weed. No, I was really just focusing on my own mental health on trying to get myself, you know, rewire, I guess, you know, and, and just get myself just change my outlook on everything, you know, and uh, for how I cared about myself to how I care about other people. And, you know, those were just some of the things that I found helpful.
1: I really like how you juxtapose and say, you know, for in your specific journey, it was the combination of several things, both maybe taking the time off, maybe binge watching a specific series that created an emotional and a very inspirational impact on you. Um, and then even separately, even just you know giving a shout out to the importance of therapy. Um, I, I think this would be a good time as any in order to let the rest of our listeners know that whatever path that you decide to take, there's no right or wrong. The more important part is to determine whether or not you're doing something for the sake of escape, whatever actions that you're taking, if they're doing it as some form of, of cathartic release or maybe some level of what I would describe in, in coaching practice as integration. And so I guess I just want to highlight you know, the importance that with integration comes freedom. And the difference between that and coping is that, um, I don't know if anybody's been into the pool recently, but if you take, like let's say, a beach ball and you try to submerge it in water, um, the more you try to push it, the more it's going to push back on you. And it'll start seeping into other aspects of your life. And that may very well be a symptom. Maybe you might very well be pushing something aside that needs to be dealt with. And ultimately, that is a personal decision that I, I hope that everybody here It's just at least cognizant and aware of what they're doing. And hopefully, I think that maybe we might be able to approach our scene and the people that we interact and that we relate with in a healthier and in a kinder way.
0: I agree with everything you just said.
1: You had uh, a particular type of interaction working with corporations, right? And where you're now dealing with these very, very large institutions, these are very large for-profit companies. You kind of learned that not everybody necessarily operates, you know, out of the specific passion for the music. Some people, it's very much a job. Um, I'm really curious, you know from from somebody that very much does this out of passion, how did you keep yourself i guess how did you keep yourself aligned to your own personal mission without falling into the pitfalls of just it being another j o b
0: yeah for me, it was always about the music, and the music is what brought me in in through the entire industry you know at first it was a hobby and then it it was something I was always passionate about so when I did work with the corporate, with the corporations and such, I realized that there's a whole different side of the music industry. You know, I see the industry and I see the scene. These people were there. This is their day job. This is what they go and do for a living. I guess for me, I never really looked at promotion and throwing events as a job. It was always an experience. It was always something fun and exciting, and and this thing that we were doing together, you know, and for the community. So realistically, I, I think there's a saying like, you know, love what you do. So it doesn't seem like it's a job. And I, I just lucked out, man. I, I just got to, to, to keep my passion and, and everything alive by doing what I loved. Um, it never really became a job for me. So it ended up working out great.
1: So the most consistent pattern that I'm seeing here is, is very much not only your love of, 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 of Dubstep, but also your appreciation towards relationships and, and properly, I guess, cultivating a right environment in order to maintain those, whether it be a relationship with your fans or even with the artists and, and the team that you work with. Um, so I guess my first question is, why Dubstep?
0: Yeah, so when I found Dubstep, it was just the genre that, uh, that spoke to me. And at that time, it wasn't even really a thing, so it was fu- difficult to kind of find. And so, San Francisco was doing parties; they had just started, and I started flying out to San Francisco every month. We called them our submission field trips. Um, <laughs> we we'd go out there and we'd go to a show and experience the vibe. And at that time, you know, there's something to be said when something is just getting started. Because the people that are there are all there for the same reason they're all there for the music they're all and, and just that bringing a gathering like that together creates a vibe that is just unspeakable you know it, it it's just you cannot replicate or create that if you tried mm. and when I would go I, I built these relationships and like with Mikey Schumer anti and roommate and Tom no thing you know these guys that you know, became my best friends and I would go and stay at their house and we'd go to these parties and we just had the best time. And it was, we all had our own individual times because it was such an individual journey, but we were all doing it together. And it just, and and with that said, all my, my small crew from Denver who would come with me for these field trips, you know, we would, we would all be doing it together. And that unity and that gathering is just but made and sealed the deal that it had to come to Denver. Mm -hmm. And that was the same vibe that I wanted to make sure. And, And, you know, in and of itself, meeting these artists who like, were like, oh my God, superstars, you know, but they're like down to earth, real people who these days turned out to be some of my best friends, you know, and like, it was just such a humbling experience, you know, to be a part of something that we had no idea at the time has made history you know we have created something that no one knew about you know from from the from the ground up and you know just thinking about all those times back then just gives me so many good memories it's it's honestly it one of the motivators you know one of the things that just keeps me going you know I just want people to feel the same way that I felt back then when they walk into their first black box show or their first submission show and that is what pushed me to do run submission the way that I run submission and that is what pushed me to build the black box and have the same ethos and vibe and and mindset with our security and everybody in there you know obviously we're there to keep people safe but at the same time I want them to walk in and have that moment, you know, those feelings where they're just connected. And it's that connection that keeps them coming back. It's that connection that keeps us a family. It's that connection that has helped the agency be successful and help the artists that we love and that we represent share what they do and what they love to people all around the country, all around the world, you know? And with that said, it's just this beautiful ripple effect that, I'm just so lucky to be a part of and it it's just amazing it's been an amazing ride I think it goes a long way and has something to say with being able to survive as a venue that's only been open for a few few years through being closed an entire year during a pandemic where if it wasn't for our patrons and our artist friends and family I don't know if we would have made it you know the support that we've got and help and everybody just chipping in to make sure that everything was going to work out from my partners to the patrons to the artists, you know, it's just a huge humbling experience that once again has motivated me so freaking much for when we reopen, you know, and that's the thing. They're the moments that I think are the most important. It is those humbling connections and those moments that I get with people that keep me motivated and keep me wanting to do something Different or change or move, you know, evolve to the next thing with the studio or do this project with Women Crush Wednesday. It's just, I just think there are so many outlets that we can provide for people to heal. And that the way that I receive support and the generosity and love and affection that we get is what keeps us going.
1: Tell me about Women Crush Wednesdays.
0: Yeah. So Women Crush Wednesdays is the night that we do. we launched it prior to COVID in February. So it didn't go so well since we had to close, but we started um, again. And so basically it's on Wednesdays, obviously. And so we do one night. That's an event. Like for example, tonight we have Della moon here mm-hmm. in Denver and that's where I'll be going as soon as we're done this interview, mm-hmm. but we have an all female lineup and we celebrate diversity and sound. Um, and they come in and they play and they headline, the, they headline the show uh, on another Wednesday, we have um, a Ladies Only Open Decks, but prior to that we have a female-owned business owner come in and kind of just do a little presentation about their business and share what they do and what they love and what they're passionate about with people who want to come and it's open to everybody. And then we have uh, Women Open Decks.
1: It sounds like you have a very strong push towards women getting showcased and getting seen um, specifically within the, the environment and the Dubstep community, what's, what's the thinking behind this?
0: Well, you know, I happen to be a woman myself, and <laughs> I know that there have been some, you know, I, I've been fortunate and haven't had to deal with too many gender-based issues, but I do know that out there that there has been ton a ton, and I just want to make sure that, you know, we're able to really provide a platform for females to get out there and do their thing and show the world that gender has no matter in how good you are at a task.
1: (laughs) What can we do as men that both are either fans, supporters, or even industrialists that work in the industry? What can we do to create a better environment for women?
0: Um, From a personal level, I I don't like to be treated like I'm a woman. Mm -hmm. I'm either doing the job right or wrong, You know, I'm either respected by my work ethic or I'm not. I really don't want there to be a separation because of sex. Mm -hmm. However, on a different level, I don't think men should expect, you know, women to come up and flaunt their bodies on stage just to get some type of approval Mm -hmm. or careers should be generated based off of that. But on a wholesome level, As a venue owner, it's just about creating a safe space. And that space is not just for women. It's for everyone, no matter what you identify as. It's extremely important for us to just meet people where they're at, to not provide judgment, and to just allow everyone to do their own thing and be their own person.
1: Hmm. I love it. On the realms of safety, uh, Black Box has been one of the few venues that has received um, a lot of... Positive uh, and feedback and, and reception uh, from throwing COVID friendly shows during the, uh, I should say, during, during the epidemic, or I should say before full capacity shows ever became a thing. Um, if I recall correctly, um, you were one of the first people to come up with so- socially quarantined uh, shows uh, indoors. A- am, I, am I right on that assessment?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I can't speak across the country or not, but I, I do know for us, we started doing our patio parties, which led to us going inside because uh, our neighbors weren't so happy about sound systems on the patio. But um, yeah, we did. And we started the seated events. Uh, obviously, it's six foot rules. So social distancing, wearing the masks. I wrote a pretty, pretty, pretty intensive uh, safety plan um, and luckily i have amazing staff and patrons who follow follow the rules for the most part you know Mm. it's funny now because Ironically, we own a dance club, and we're having to tell people they can't dance. down, you know. <laughs> right. So, we are definitely, especially Corey, the venue manager, is definitely looking forward to the day where he can tell people to dance their asses off again, you know. Mm. Because right now, that's been, you know, that's been the biggest problem, right? Is that we have to keep everybody in seats while still providing the best sound system in the in the state and some of the best artists who can come through. So.
1: That sounds really exciting. And I, I can't wait until the moment that things open up again. I, I'm personally, I've seen all my friends go to black box events. I've yet to see one or to physically see one myself. Everything's been hundred percent digital. Um, what can we expect? What, what, what's there to look forward to uh, on the horizon with both black box and submission?
0: Yeah. So as far as the black box goes, we are currently still doing our seated events and anxiously awaiting those moments when we can open our doors to full capacity and getting to check out all those epic dance moves, again, that people have been practicing for the past year, I'm sure. Um, But, yeah, we have a bunch of events planned. Obviously, we're open uh, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday right now. We do one Wednesday a month with Woman Crush Wednesday. We will be starting our Brunch Box series, which will be on the patio this year starting in June every Sunday. So... Taking from COVID, it's going to be seated, you know, seated brunch events with your ticket. As far as submission goes, we have some really, you know, this year we really redefined our client list on our agency roster and have really diversified our sound. So it's not just dubstep, it's bass music as a whole. Mm-hmm. And I'm really proud of it. We've added some new agents. Um, we have started a series of events at the Mishawaka Amphitheater called Some Mish, which we just had our first one with Kill Smith and the Ultrasloth guys. We're doing next one coming up in June. Uh, we are also bringing back Base Invasion this year in September for a two-night dual room uh, party at Cervantes, which we're really excited about. And realistically, with the agency, things are just really starting to pop up. So. Uh, people around the country are are, are really um, opening, you know, getting ready to open the doors back. You know, as far as the black uh, black box studio goes, we're revamping what that's going to look like, and we'll be starting Sunday school again, which will be twice a month on Sundays, and we'll also be starting back our individual lessons in Ableton, um, any type of production, DJing, utilizing Katie Watson, who is an Ableton certified teacher out here in Denver and one of my close friends, and also being able to utilize some of the artists who come through to stay and teach a Sunday school for the following day. So really right now, we're, we're just, you know, I'm primed and ready to go. Like I said, I haven't been more motivated. The love and humanity that I've got to experience through COVID that, you know, doubled with the self-care that I've been able to really get in has just motivated me more to, uh, to get back to it.
1: Yeah. It's given you more of you to give out to others.
0: Like. <laughs> exactly.
1: Hmm. exactly. And how can we find out where, what, how, what's the social media? How can we find out more about submission
0: and black box? Gotcha. So black box is www.blackboxdenver.co and submission is www.sub.mission.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and that's about it we also do have our twitch page for black box where we do black box live events we broadcast our tuesdays and thursday events and some random weekends and we also started our own pay-per-view channel during covid which if you watch on the weekends you'll be able to uh buy a ticket and join the show
1: what are three things that you're grateful for
0: my family my life my friends
1: love it love it Nicole, it was lovely to have you this incredible evening. It was a privilege to have to not only hear your experience, but to create an environment and a space that hopefully others will be able to create for others in any capacity. So on that note, uh, on behalf of CE and on behalf of myself, incredibly appreciative that you came on. We appreciate you and the work that you do. And we're excited to see very, 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 very exciting things to come um, from the work that you do with your projects.
0: Well thank you so much for having me. It's been an honor and I've enjoyed it very much.